Good morning again. So I noticed that the clock is missing. Now you could read that several ways. One is, I don't follow it anyways, so there's no need to have it up there. Um, that's, that's one possible reading of that. Um, This morning we're in Matthew chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll turn there with me. We're going to be looking at the parable of the four soils. So it's Matthew 13, and what we're going to do is we're going to read the first nine verses, and we're going to jump down to verse 18. And we'll read the explanation that Jesus gives us. Jesus doesn't explain a lot of his, a lot of his parables, but uh, this is one that he does give us an explanation of. Very helpful, obviously. And um, so we're going to look at both of those. Let's begin um, as we read God's Word together, beginning in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake, such large... Large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly. Because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Down to verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown among the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but worries, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of, the, of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. As we come to it, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would open our hearts, that you would let the word as it is sown, as it is preached this morning, take root in our lives, that it might produce a harvest worthy of the calling you've placed upon us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Jesus would often take stories, and uh, as he would tell them, they were stories that came from everyday life. Perhaps they were things that he was observing. In this case, you have the story where Jesus comes out of the house, and it tells us that he went and he sat by the lake. And as he was there, and as the crowds began to gather around him, eventually got into the boat, and he preached a sermon from the boat thereby giving people the opportunity to come and to crowd and to be very close to him there on the lakeside. And no doubt as he began talking to them, there was perhaps someone off in the distance. Um, Perhaps there was a field. There may have been someone out in that field sowing seed. But Jesus takes what would have been a common, somewhat everyday or at least familiar experience, and he puts spiritual meaning to it. He, He tells a story... And what he hopes is that his hearer is going to hear the story and understand it in terms of the kingdom, in in spiritual terms. And that's what Jesus is doing in this instance. You listen to the story, and perhaps it doesn't have a whole lot of meaning to you, because this this isn't common everyday occurrence for us, even farmers. In Yazoo City, we had a lot of farmers, and, and I would go out and I would ride with them occasionally at different times of the, of, of the season. And I've been out with them when they're planting seeds. This is not a familiar um, kind of a story for them because they get into a tractor, and that tractor takes a seed. It squirts a little bit of, uh, it takes a little bit of uh, fertilizer, it squirts it in the hole, and it drops one seed, and then it covers it. And then they move to the next one. And it mechanically does this, obviously, across a great deal of land as they go row by row by row. One seed, one plant. One seed, one plant. It doesn't go in ground that hasn't been plowed. It doesn't, it's not left on the top of the soil so that birds can fly in and peck it up. It it, it goes in soil which they believe has been properly prepared and is ready to receive the seed completely foreign to this story in which the sower would have gone out and he would have had some sort of a little bag. He, he may have actually taken the outer portion of his garment and the seed would have been laid in it, um, seed that was not genetically modified nor engineered. And, and he would have taken that and he would have grabbed handfuls of it, much like perhaps you've done with grass seed, and he would have thrown it all over the ground, and then that would have, they would have come along be, behind that, and they would have put a layer of soil perhaps over it. Sometimes they wouldn't have even done that. And then he would have prayed, and they would have waited for the rain to come and for the seed to germinate and take root and grow up. Well, that kind of a situation gives rise to the parable that Jesus tells us. And it's a parable in which there are three aspects I want us to think about this morning as we look at it. I want us to first think about the seed that is powerful. Second, I want us to think about the the sower that is faithful. And the third thing I want us to look at is I want us to look at the soils that are variable that have a variable attached to them. Okay? So first, let's talk about the seed that is sown. The seed that is sown. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is like this. And then he gives us this parable. He tells us this story. And so we, we find out here that there is a seed that is sown. Now, as you think about that, I want you to think about this. How in the world is the kingdom of God like a seed? How are those two at all similar? When you and I think, when you hear the word kingdom, 
When I, heard, when I hear the word kingdom, automatically, just it, it, kind of re- reflexively, the idea that comes into my brain is not a seed. It's a sword. It's a castle. It's, it's a knight. It's shining armor. It's power, right? When you think kingdom, when I think kingdom, those are the images that come into my mind. A kingdom is something that's mighty. It's powerful. It's awesome. It, it, a kingdom can exert its will over those who live in it. But Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a seed that is sown. See, this is another one of those instances in which Jesus is really turning upside down our understanding of the kingdom of God. Because what he's telling us is that the kingdom kingdom of God is not not like an earthly kingdom that we might imagine. It's not like Rome marching armies around. It's not like ancient Greece expanding its power. It's not like ancient Egypt. It, it's, it's none of those. Those kingdoms went and they exerted power. And when they did so, they brought people under their control. And if you didn't bow your knee to that king in that kingdom, then you weren't a part of it because they cut your head off. The kingdom of God isn't like that. It doesn't come in forcefully. It doesn't subdue us that way. The kingdom comes as a seed planted where? In our hearts. And in our hearts, that seed germinates and it takes root and it changes us organically. Much the way as the church of Jesus Christ, we are to go into the world and be organically changing the world. It's why church programs typically aren't the best way for a church to to do ministry in its community. We talked about this this morning when we were having our inquirers class. And one of the things that I talked about was I would much rather, as opposed to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church having soup for seniors, in which we go to the parking lot at Publix and we give out cups of soup to the needy people in Reynolds Plantation. (laughs) Instead of doing that, how about... A thousand points of light in which you go out into the world, into this community, and you minister, as so many of you are already doing. You see, organically, out in the community, changing the community, as opposed to a program in which we go out and and we all muster and we put our t-shirts on and we say, here we are, Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Don't you see us and see what we're doing? Instead of that, much like the kingdom... We want to go and we want to plant seeds. We want to go out into the community, a thousand points of light, George Bush, thank you very much, and we want to affect change. See, the kingdom comes as a seed and it germinates in the hearts and thereby produces change. Jesus tells us that that is how the kingdom is. What is it? What is that seed? It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom. It, don't narrowly define it. Too, too often right here what we would do is we would say, well, the, 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 king, the, the, the seed is the gospel message. It's that gospel presentation. Yes, it is. 
It is that, but it's more than that because the kingdom is more than that. The kingdom is about not just individual transformation. The kingdom is about everything being made right again. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what are we praying? We're not just praying that individuals would be be changed. We're praying that every single relationship would be made right. We're praying that lions and lambs lie down together in the fields. We're praying that, that whatever is wrong and wherever it's wrong, it's put back together as God originally intended for things to be. That is a prayer for the kingdom to come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not merely, not merely that you would have an experience and know a relationship with God through Jesus and have forgiveness of your sins. Yes, it includes that, but it is more than that. And now think about that. Think about Jesus comparing that kind of kingdom work to a seed. See, what you and I expect is a, what, what we think of as a bolt of lightning. We think of God's power. It, it was, the disciples didn't get it. If you turn back over just um, two chapters in Matthew chapter 11, at the beginning, at the beginning of Matthew 11, there, there's a story, there's a little recorded incident in which John the Baptist, who is in jail, has a question. Matthew 11, here's what it says. When John heard in prison, verse 2, what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, and here's the question, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? What stories had he heard? Well, he was hearing about people being healed. He was hearing about Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. What wasn't he hearing? He wasn't hearing that some guy had rode in on a white stallion and he had a huge army, an entourage in his trail, and they were laying waste to the land. And they were running out the, the Romans and they were, um, they were conquering and taking hold. The kingdom had come. And so John the Baptist was rightly, probably, a little bit confused. He was hearing the message, but he, but he didn't see the man matching up. And so he had a question for Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that is going to usher in the promised kingdom? Or is there somebody else coming? You see, the reason that he had the question... The reason that you and I often have a question, you and, you and I often are looking for, we are looking for something big to happen externally on the outside. The bolt of lightning, the, the, the big strike, um, a president who's going to come and, and he's going to you know, undo all of these unjust policies and he's going to do things. He's going to make America great again because if America's great again, the church will be great again and Christians will be great again and, and we'll get our power back and we'll, we'll put prayer in schools and people will be changed. That's not at all the message that Jesus brought. That is not the kingdom message. The kingdom message is that life by life, individually, he will turn the world upside down. And lo and behold, isn't that what you see? And so the first thing is we, we see the seed, and we see that it's powerful. 
It is the message of the gospel. That's the kingdom message. What is it? Well, it's the message that God created heavens and the earth. He created man, male and female. He put them in the garden. Man, the first Adam, a representative of all humanity, and he fell into sin. And upon his fall into sin, he plunged all humanity into sin and ruin. And then God promised that he would send one into the world who would rescue us and who would make that relationship right, who would purchase and win for himself a people who would be his worshipers forever and ever, who would inhabit the new heavens and the new earth. And so at just the right time, Jesus came into the world, born of a woman and the Spirit, and he lived and was obedient to the law, and then he died a sacrificial death on the cross, thereby paying the penalty for the sin of every person who would ever believe in him. And he secured for himself a people who would worship him forever and ever. That's the message of the kingdom. Strange sounding, completely and totally weird to the world. Not at all the message we think is going to turn things upside down. And yet, that is the message that has indeed turned the world on its head for the last 2,000 years. In the parable, the seed is powerful. What does Jesus say about it? He says, let him, verse 9, whoever has ears, what? Let him hear. Open up. Open your ears and listen to the message. Let's talk about the second thing, the sower. The sower who is faithful. The sower who is faithful. Now, there's the chief sower, the great shepherd of the sheep. That's Jesus himself. Obviously, the gospel and the kingdom message is not possible without Jesus being a part of it and being the source of it and the message itself. We get that. But listen, there's also another message here in that the kingdom of God is full of sowers who go out and sow seed. And they do so faithfully. That's why when you, get to, when you get to 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that you and I are bearers of the message of reconciliation. That's, <laughs> that's really a part of that whole letter of 2 Corinthians. You and I have gone through trials. We've had adversities come into our life. There have been many things that we've had to overcome. We've had trials and temptations and on and on. Therefore... We have the ability to go and to comfort those who themselves are afflicted with the ministry of reconciliation. You see, he takes us, the seed is planted in our lives, it takes root, and then we, therefore, are able to go out and take the same message to the world. And to scatter our seed, to sow our seed out there. And that's what we see in the parable. We see this man, he goes out. He, he takes the seed. He's not at all frugal with it. It's not, you know, one seed in this hole, one seed in this hole. He goes out and he sows it. He scatters it all over. Some of it falls on rocky ground. Some of it falls on ground that is ready to receive it. Some of it falls on ground that is full of thorns and, and chokes it out. But regardless, the, um, what we see is that he is faithful to sow the seed. Friends, you and I... Not Marion and I. Marion and I are not the sole sowers in this church. 
And the pastors in this community are not the ones who are, who are, we are not the only ones sowing seed. You are sowers of that seed as well. So I want to encourage you, as you are in possession of that seed, that you would go. Listen to uh, the Apostle Paul as he, um, as he talks about this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Actually, just prior to that, in verses 10 through 13, he talks about the gospel. He says, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. The scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. But then he says this, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Listen, you and I, we are all in possession of that good news. And when you go out into the world, into this community, you are the bearers of light. That's what Jesus says just prior to all of this. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he says, What good is it to have your light if you hide under a bushel? What good is it if you're a city set on the hill and you turn your lights out? Nothing. See, you and I are in possession of that. We are salt and light in the world around us. And so a part of this, a part of this parable, a part of this equation is that we be sowers who are faithful with the seed that we have. Here's the third thing, the final thing. And, and the thing that Jesus, frankly, spends the most time on, and that is the soils. There are four soils that are given here, and, and they would represent various types of lives. And <clears throat> there's a sense in which the soils, this parable has in mind an eternal picture. But there's a sense in which this parable has in mind a here and now. Let me explain that. Jesus often talks about, and he says numerous times, he, he, he gives a warning. And the warning is, not everyone who says that they're a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who, as Jesus says, calls on my name will be saved. It, the, the warnings are numerous. In Matthew 7, he talks about a narrow road and a broad road. And he says, many are on the broad road that leads to destruction. That's what Jesus says. And their end is, is not good, not pretty. And then he says, there are some who are on this narrow trail. And when you read that, it, the first thing that pops in your mind is that the, the broad road is marked. You know, it's the strip in Las Vegas. It has flashing neon lights. You're on the wrong road. It leads to hell. It's marked. And everybody who's on it, they know they're on it, and they don't care. And they're just headed to the, they're on the highway, as, as ACDC sang about. They're on that highway. And you get it. And they know they're on it. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew 7. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 is there are a lot of people that are on that road that think they're on the narrow road. They think they're on the skinny road, the road that leads to heaven. And he says, few are they who find that road, but many are on this broad road that leads to destruction. 
And he gives this warning over and over again. And I think to some degree this parable falls within the boundaries of, of that warning. It's a warning for us to check ourselves, to ask ourselves, what is the soil condition of my life? And so he gives to us four soils in which the gospel seed fell on. Let's jump down to the explanation. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, does not understand it, the evil one comes and he snatches away that which was sown in the heart. Somebody said that this soil represents the person who remains only at the theoretical level. They know the word. Perhaps they grew up in church. They've heard a lot about Christianity. Um, you, you don't want to play Bible trivia if that's your sort of thing. You don't want to play Bible trivia with that guy or Daryl because they're going to wipe you out. But it's never made it into their heart. The word has never penetrated their heart. And, and because it has never penetrated their heart, um, it, there's nothing there. There's no root it, it remained strictly on the surface. It, it was only a knowledge. Listen, the Bible tells us that the evil one knows that God exists. Right? It's possible to know God theoretically. It's possible to know the five points of Calvinism, the solas of the Reformation, and not know Jesus and not be converted. It is possible to sit and hear the word week after week after week, year after year after year through all the seasons of life, and never know the king. And that's what he says. He says the word is sown, but it never penetrates. It never gets to the heart. They hear with their ears, but not with their heart. Here's the second soil. The second soil, verse 20, seed falling on rocky ground, refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. So they hear the word, it takes root, it, it germinates in their lives, and someone has said, this seed is, is the person who responds only with their heart. And it's complete emotion for them. And so they're coming and, and they're hearing and saying, oh, this is good. And, and what it is, is it's a good addition to their lives. They need a little bit of help. They feel like they, they just need a little extra oomph. And Jesus is kind of maybe the missing piece of the puzzle for them that helps make them happy. And so they're getting by and things are well. They hear the word. They at once receive it with joy, verse 21. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. They're disillusioned. They believe that Jesus equals easy. But when trouble and hardship come, they say, ho, 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 this wasn't a part of the deal. This wasn't what I bargained for. I wanted I wanted Jesus, and, and that meant I get my cake and I get to eat it too, and everything's going to be good and happy and, and everything will be fine. This is the missing piece of the puzzle in order for me to be happy. Trouble comes, they fall away. Now, the two first two in eternal terms, not believers. It's the last two that are a little bit tricky for us. Some people think that only the final soil is, is that believer. Um, 
I tend to be more of the mind that this third soil is someone who has come to faith. The, the word has germinated in their hearts, but they, there's still this really massive struggle between the things that they love and Jesus, and there's some sort of internal struggle there. They listen to the word of God, but they do so with a divided heart. You see it in verse 22. The word, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. They choke it. um, it, it, there's, There's a battle for resources in their heart and life. And because there's a battle for resources taking place, it never really fully matures. It doesn't ever fully you know, take off and give uh, the production that we want to see in the Christian life. You can think of all sorts of things that are there, that are pressuring the life. Now, in the eternal sense, you can take it either way. Perhaps this is an, an unfruitful believer. They just remain unmature. We know in the Scriptures there's, there are, we're challenged to move from milk to meat and those sorts of things. So there are immature believers who perhaps never, never fully mature. You could take it that that choking out is, means that they, they were never truly in, in the church. But in the here and now sense, do you see how there are times in our lives where we can be unproductive because of the cares of the world or choking out life? Where, where the gospel, where the word is, is taken root, but the cares of this world are, are such that we're not in the productive phase that we need to be in. Do you see how that can also be the case? It's been the case in my life at various points in times. I'm not connected to the church the way that I should be. I'm not connected to other believers the way that I should be. I'm not hearing the word. Listen, Jesus gives us a very stark challenge here. Listen, hear the word. And so there's a sense in which that can be the case. Obviously, then there's the forced soil. And you'll notice that it produces a harvest unimaginable. And there are various levels in which it's producing. And that's what we want to see. And sometimes we're there. And so the question to ask you this morning is, as we think about this, as we, we contemplate it, first, the word that's powerful, the seed that is powerful. Are you, are you regularly encountering that? Are you... Are you hearing the message of the kingdom? Are you opening your ears? Are you putting yourself in a place where you can hear and learn and grow in the word? The word is powerful. And that is a challenge for us is to be there. Member of opportunities, Sunday morning is one of them. But our home fellowship groups are another, or Sunday school, or, or a men's Bible study, or a women's Bible study. Are you plugging yourself into the place where you're going to hear the word, you're going to be in contact with the word so that its power can work in you. The second thing is, are you being faithful as a follower of Christ to be a sower of the seed? And the third thing is to take evaluation of your life and to ask, where am I? What is going on with me in my life? Am I being productive? 
Are there cares in my life that are choking out the Word to make me unproductive? And what do I need to do about that? Perhaps you need somebody to walk with you. Perhaps you, you know, a number of things. Maybe you need to take some steps. Make, make a plan in order to allow the Word to come in so that you can hear it and it can be productive in your life. Listen, this morning we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And as we head to the table now, I want you to be thinking about that. Because the supper is given to us in this journey. Marion read for us the passage out of Hebrews chapter 3. That was meant to tie in with this morning's sermon and for us to think about it this way. We're on this journey in life, the Christian life, and we are um, at some stage along the way in there. And the supper is meant to be an encouragement for us, a means of grace to us in the journey. And so we come to the supper, and we do so regularly here the first Sunday of the month. And it is a visible picture for us of what Christ has done. It is the Word in a picture form, meant to be a means of grace to us, reminding us of what has happened in the gospel for us, thereby encouraging us in the journey. So here's the question for you. If you're here this morning and you are a member of an evangelical church that preaches salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, and you have made that profession of faith, and um, you don't have grievous sin in your life, this morning the supper is for you. If you're here this morning and you've never made that profession, you've never received baptism as an outward sign of that, then my encouragement to you is to let the supper pass you by this morning and take the opportunity to meditate upon the message and what it is perhaps that needs to take place in your life. And so I want you to hear that the supper is for all of those who are weak and wounded, sick and sorrowful, who know their need for a Savior and have professed Christ as their only hope in life and in death. The supper's for you. It's not for you if you think you've got it all together and you just need a little crutch. It's for you if you know that you're a sinner saved by grace and that you're in the struggle And you're walking the walk of faith. The Apostle Paul gave us this warning from 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What an encouragement to us as we walk this walk that the supper has been given for us. And we, by taking it, are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes for us. You have your sheet that has for us on the other side of uh, Come, Thou Long Expected Jesus. The song, The Power of the Cross, we're going to stand now and we'll sing the first two stanzas of The Power of the Cross. Would you do so?